Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Cut the Clichés, the show which gets behind the jargon and buzzwords of business, technology and sport. I'm your host Liam Fitzpatrick, founder of Comswork, helping business leaders reach their audience through PR and content. Every week we ask a guest to guide us through their specialist field and this week we have fellow Brit David Melia, head of sports at Global Web Index, helping us out. And we turn our attention to data in sports as a topic for this week and how it's been used to improve our experience. Now, we caught up with David in the Gold Coast ahead of Sport Accord, where he was speaking about the future of fan engagement. In this episode, we discuss his role at GWI, how he got into the industry, the challenges he's faced uh, throughout his career, what he does on a day-to-day level, the opportunities for brands in the sporting space, and what we should look out for in the next 12 months or so. As ever, if you like what you hear or you're bored on a train, plane, any kind of automobile, uh, fancy helping us out, please rate our podcast on your platform of choice and leave any feedback on our Comswork blog page. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Cut the Clichés. My name is Liam Fitzpatrick. With me today, I have David Melia. Welcome, David. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, good to be here on the uh, on the Gold Coast um, in Australia. Um, heading towards Sport Accord next week, um, but I've had a week here for business, so it's been good. Yeah, fantastic. And David has flown all the way from London. Yes, um, I have thankfully got over the jet lag. Uh, it took me two or three days, but um, yeah, um, I flew... Normally, uh, based out of London, um, I look after the global nature of sports at GWI. So that covers, obviously, the Americas, but uh, covers all the way over to the other side uh, in, in Australia and APAC as well. Um, yeah, so um, lots of interesting topics around sports in all the different cultural differences as well. So um, having to keep my eye and uh, head across uh, all the different sort of nuances in that space as well. Fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role at Global Web Index and for those that don't know what Global Web Index does? Certainly. Well, I'll start with what uh, Global Web Index um, does on a day-to-day basis for a number of different clients across the globe. Um, We run um, a globally harmonised survey across 45 markets. Um, This provides data and insight um, around the consumer, 16 to 64-year-olds, around their attitudes and behaviours to all things uh, 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 consumer-fronting products, um, to their attitudes towards uh, the outlook on the world. Um, And we hope to provide that insight to all businesses around the world, but we currently work across uh, the media agency world, publishers, um, sports organisations and teams with myself, and then the corporate world as well, uh, with the hope that by providing this insight and data, to these organisations, they can make smart commercial decisions um, and plan more strategic uh, projects, whether that be digital, uh, marketing focused, um, and ultimately um, make them smarter on their day-to-day business. Um, And in terms of what I do, I look after the sports element of the business. I joined two years ago now, um, and I've been tasked with building out the sports business to work with sports teams. So that could be anyone from the Premier League teams, the Bundesliga teams, um, through to sports organisations, both global looking, so people like the NBA or NFL, or indeed 
whether it just be a local market focus, but more and more in this day and age, um, no sporting organisation is looking at just one market. So that's where GWI obviously uh, provides great value in terms of uh, organisations wanting to get that data and insight for a market that they've never really explored or are looking to explore um, outside of their key sort of uh, domestic market. We can provide that insight um, and sort of provide that first helping hand into that new market and new um, space for them. Fantastic. So you have built out the whole sports team yourself. That's uh, yeah. So um, I moved uh, or I moved across and I was working uh, with my colleague Russell, who had made some inroads in the sort of sports uh, agency world. But I've sort of taken the baton on and, and added a number of sports teams, organizations um, to the uh, sort of client roster at GWI and obviously continue to look to do that more and more. Um, and we've now got a team in place um, across account management and customer success. And we have a dedicated sort of custom research team as well, because not only do we provide, obviously, a sort of harmonized global data source um, via the web on a really in, uh, sort of clever and insightful platform that's really easy to use, we also do a lot of custom projects for these clients because, as you can imagine, on a global basis, there's so many niches and so many avenues to explore, we can't explore that all in one data set. So we have to support that by doing uh, custom research. Uh, one of our sort of USPs, I guess, is that we can do this via a recontact methodology. So I'll use a quick example. If you're wanting to con recontact Man United fans in uh, five markets in APAC, we could identify Man United fans in those markets. We could then go and recontact them. And speak to them against whatever project, whether it's like an e-commerce uh, exploratory project or something like that. We could go and speak to them and, and then deliver that uh, data back into the platform. So it's all synced up. It's never sort of um, left to a spreadsheet somewhere, uh, sat on someone's computer, uh, just uh, idle. It's always there, live, ready for you to explore and continue to explore, not just on a one-off basis. And... The number of different regions that you deal with yourself, are there any particular nuances in how you go about doing business in those particular areas rather than, I suppose, just the people you you survey? Um, yeah, I mean, business-wise, um, I think, obviously, across the globe, there are so many different cultures. Um, you know, in Singapore and in APAC, I think the face-to-face uh, nature of business still exists even in this digital age i think digital uh, you know email and video conference can only get you so far i think that having that face-to-face -face interaction builds that trust and that relationship um i think that's is a story that exists across the globe but i think it's very important in asian uh, countries um but then in the uk uh, europe and america um i think you know Building those relationships can be done face-to-face, -face, but I think now more so can be done, you know, people's time and, and energy can be spent doing it online and doing it via email and uh, and video conferencing. It allows you to get to the point where you can build that relationship because of the wonders of technology. Yeah, it's brought us closer together, um, but some would say never further apart in maybe not going out and uh, meeting people at events, but obviously you're here for an event. Yeah, so. and, that, and that's a, a tricky balance to find because obviously as a business you could say, well, actually we could do it all online and we could do it all via reach outs and all, uh, you know, digital reach outs and all that sort of stuff. But it's the, the business still rings true that if you go and meet someone or get on the phone with them or see them face to face, that goes a 
you know, a thousand times more than uh, just a, a rogue email. So if I can get out to more conferences, get out to more meetings um, on a face, uh, you know, face-to-face basis, I th- that's always helped conversations or, or relationships being yeah. built. Definitely easier to make yourself rememberable with a face-to-face <laughs> exchange rather than anything over email. Yeah, my face um, would be memorable, maybe not in the right way, but uh, yeah, no, it's always helped me in this role, but in other roles as well. Um, you know, just being able to have that sort of honest conversation. You can ask those questions that you may not necessarily feel you can ask over an email or, or on a phone call. Yeah, and get to understand the person a little bit better rather than yeah, it's, it's just understanding their minuscule role within a particular organisation. Yeah, you want to explore the person um, beyond the uh, beyond the business um, and get to know them better so you know how they work and they know how you work as, as well. And you can build that uh, relationship. Fantastic. Well, this is called Cut the Clichés. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about some of the jargon or overused phrases um, that exist in your industry. So today we're talking sport, we're talking data, data, depending on where you live in the world. Um, what are some of the phrases that you'd like to banish from these industries um, that you hear kind of time and time again? Um, well, as a sporting uh, player or a player of sports for a long time, um, the classic 100, to give 110%, I would love to get rid of that one straight away. But no, um in my world, um, I deal a lot with data and insight in the sports world, which I think is not new, but it, it's becoming uh, of the moment and something that people want to have more and more. With that, there has been slow adoption in terms of the digital world um, and how to best uh, serve the uh, fans and the consumers out there for the brands and the organisations we work with. Um, I think one cliche that I would feel is slightly uh, outdated now is content is king. Um, I think content is vastly important. You think about all the digital, the whole digital landscape, every touch point, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, uh, their owned and operated website. If you've got content, that's great. And I think that's fantastic to have. But the notion that it doesn't need advertising or it doesn't need um retargeting of uh, specific types of content for different users is um, also a misnomer. So I think you, you've got to, as an organization, set out to understand, right, who's this content? Who do we want this content to speak to? Now, this may be 16 to 24-year-olds, or it may be 45 to 54-year-olds, and that content has to be vastly different or slightly different in the way it speaks to the, the different people. Um, and also the fact that I'll just put it out on social and it will become viral, I think is a, is long gone. You think about the amount of content now being produced by uh, sporting organisations, but also fan groups. You know, I'm an Arsenal fan and I watch Arsenal fan TV when I haven't, you know, and I catch up with them waxing lyrical about how we're not spending money and all that. So the way that content is now being produced, it's not just owned and operated. So you're having to compete with all different pieces so if you can be more clever in how you um, advertise now that may be via facebook it may be via linkedin it may be via seo you know google whatever it may be if you can understand where your target audience are spending their time and engaging with your content that will make you smarter the notion that just putting out content will make you a good uh, will engage with your fans i think is slightly outdated now because 
everyone's on the digital bandwagon, everyone's on the content bandwagon. You've got to continue to stand out. And that's via good content, absolutely, but it's via clever, strategic uh, placement of your content on the right platforms. And what are some of the best examples you've seen in, in recent years, either through your work with GWI or your uh, musings as a sport fan? What are some of the examples of, of good content from sports organisations? Well, um, or brands. Yeah, well, I'll start with an organisation, uh, Rugby World, uh, World Rugby, should I call them now? Um, my One of my ex-colleagues, actually, head of social there, they do some fantastic work, and I think he's taken World Rugby into a let's go and speak to that younger audience to guarantee the sport's future fan. Um, and that's not just in the classic rugby markets, but the, the social uh, content they're pumping out around Rugby Sevens especially but also with the Rugby World Cup coming up, they've got a set um, sort of library of content now that's engaging a younger fan. And now that's via doing like Instagram Live, uh, doing stories, but then it's also just simple things like adding graphics and and visually engaging uh, sort of content around the video. So it's not just someone, here's uh, a really fast guy scoring a try, it's how fast is he running? And how fast is the other guys running? And uh, James, who's head of social or head of content there, he's done a fantastic job over the last two years of really developing their content to speak to a multitude of audiences, but make it more engaging. Um, And then from a brand perspective, um, I think Nike always tend to lead the way there. Um, You think about all their different pieces of content, the way they try and approach selling shoes, whether it's via the Snapchat and that's exclusivity um, around LeBron's new shoe or whatever it may be. Um, They always tend to have the right um, sort of mix of content, but then exclusivity around their content. And I think that will become ever more so uh, important for brands because, um, you know, you want to create that... uh, exclusivity that feeling of premium around your brand uh, or continue to do that and and Nike do that via their exclusive releases via their uh, obviously their athletes they have access to um, and that will become ever more important I think some of the work that they've done with um, breaking the the two-hour marathon um, a number of probably about two years ago now two years um, ago, yeah. but that was as a piece of experiential content that was fantastic. And there was so much hype around it and the amount of free PR they got from it. Um, ultimately, didn't quite do it, but the fastest time that anyone's ever run, although be it not in race conditions. Yep. Um, but that was absolutely amazing. They, the way that they uh, have the live content and all the uh, run up to it and and post event as well. It's fantastic. Yeah, and uh, he just won the London Marathon again, I think. And yep. he's a he's said that he's going to go and try and break it because obviously it was, it was two hours, 25 seconds. So he's only got 25 seconds to knock off or 26 seconds. To knock off. Only. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think he's going to go and get it. But that's the thing. It's all that this organic nature. So that as a an event is so good and the sort of the content strands you can have around that bring so much value. But then if you think about Nike are very clever around being of the, of the moment on topic. You know, you think Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Serena Williams, Tiger Woods, when he Tiger won, Woods, they've yeah. got that content ready to go, and that just brings them so much earned media, which is always a difficult thing um, to get now, especially with so much content. But they're always 
very clever because obviously they, they, they have the best athletes, but they can the, the way they sort of manipulate that for social media is fantastic. Maybe it says more about the publications I read, but I almost read more around Nike doing something for Tiger Woods' win rather than him just winning the Masters recently. Yeah. It's and crazy. Uh, yeah, and, and I guess that's kudos to Nike, you know, because you, you want to understand, especially in uh, in the world we exist in or the world I work in, I want to understand how Nike have approached that, how they've executed it, and what's the return on, um, not necessarily return on investment, return on objectives. Their objective with that was X, and we achieved it by doing this. And, and it's it's fascinating, and it's something, you know, Sometimes big brands can get lazy, um, but I think now they've all realised, um, and working with some big brands like we do, we've, they've all realised we've got to understand a consumer better, uh, we've got to understand how we can reach them better, and we've got to execute better with these of-the-moment um, sort of organic content pieces. Um, and there's so much more in the research space that's going on, things like biometric research and all this sort of stuff, which is really plugging into the emotions around content does this content um you know um, get you emotionally and if it does why and if we can explore that that's you know there's companies doing that now where i've known of brands to change their whole marketing campaign because of the reactions they didn't get or they did get to certain types of content so that's another sort of area that technology and sort of data can really push brands into a sort of out their comfort zone and start really engaging with users uh, or consumers on on that level. I think the the neuroscience point about the emotional engagement is a really interesting point. Um, We've had uh, Richard Silverstein on uh, the show before talking about um, the the brain only has a certain capacity to to remember um, an advert and you need to uh, make sure that your brand name is uh, positioned correctly so that the brain kind of doesn't forget about it almost. Yeah. Um, just wondering any examples that you've seen of brands um, taking information from a campaign that they've, uh, or insights from there and that fueling the next iteration of their campaign. What What are some of the changes they've made along the way? And uh, is there anything that you've seen from a GWI perspective? Yeah, so at GWI, obviously, uh, just sort of to clarify, we obviously do have our global data source but alongside that what we have the ability to do is um, track campaigns um, on digital Um, and what that means is um, any brand or organization that works for a brand can come to us and say look we've got this campaign going out across these digital platforms we'd love to understand has it reached the people we wanted it to but more importantly has it hit what we expect or what the KPIs of this campaign are? Has it increased brand awareness, brand you know consideration, all these different types of metrics? Um, we do a lot of tracking for brands, uh, for organisation who sell to brands in big uh, sort of multi-year campaigns. And they want to continue to understand um, on that month-by-month basis or on that sort of quarterly basis, has our investment, has that returned... Um, you know, has that returned positively for us? Um, and what we can see is dependent on the um, where their media is spent. Now, that may be Facebook, it may be LinkedIn, wherever it may be spent. We can direct them to understand, has that media been worthwhile for them? And that we only can do that through um, providing the insight, but then tracking it, and then adjustments can be made. 
Um, and also what we're able to do is through putting video into surveys and, and showing campaigns that have ex- you know existed previously or by other brands, we can understand which campaigns um, with a which tone and nature that they um, provide, which have done better and which would prove more fruitful moving forward. And as these things happen live, brands and organizations can adjust those uh, to those uh, metrics and, and the feedback they get from us. And then they adjust where their paid media goes, what type of tone and, and campaign they then launch in the next month or the next quarter. So it's both on um, maybe the creative and the channel that uh, yeah, and decisions are made. If they don't get both right, then you're all, you're just missing is missing a beat. And through through measurement, which I th- suppose we'll come on to talk about a little bit later, but measurement I think has been lacking, or quality measurement has been lacking. It's always been a kind of reliable, <laughs> yeah, reliable. Yeah. I think is is something that's been missing greatly. Um, and it's come down to because it costs money to track. Um, you know, it costs money to um, invest in saying. We're putting our campaign here across all these different platforms. We want to track how they're all doing. That costs money. And people would rather just, in this digital age, say, well, it got a million likes. It got a bit of engagement, and that'll do for us. But what does that actually mean? And I think what we're seeing now more and more is an organization or brands really want to understand what's our true return on investment. Now, has that led to increased sales? Has that led to, you know, so that story has to be told now. So you have to invest in it. And I think that's only a good thing because um, the notion that by spending a million quid on Facebook advertising, that will bring you X. I, you know, Facebook will, of course, tell you a positive story, but let's really get to the true numbers and, and get some recognised, reliable measurement. Trusted data. <laughs> that's, yeah, the, that's the holy grail, I think. I, and I think there's been a... a and I think as a legacy, that's that's a problem across all the industries we work across, people trusting data. Um, because they'll always question your methodology. They'll always question uh, sample size. They'll always question this, that. You know, this list is, could be endless. Well, if Facebook are only measuring Facebook itself, then it's Yeah, and been look, they're trying before. to protect themselves, yeah. and I get that. But they, they will eventually, if they, you know, you look at the adaptions they've had to make, eventually they will probably have to open themselves up to a measurement on a regular basis because people will start um, moving their investment away from Facebook as other channels become available. Um, and it's something we try and educate clients on, um, you know, through we're very open in terms of our methodology of collecting data, how we present it to them, how they can then take that and create insight from it but then how we can help them on an ongoing basis in terms of the measurement and the tracking piece um and i think historically research companies or data providers have not been open and transparent in terms of how they do it and equally especially with gdpr that's come across it affects the globe really gdpr is now playing a big part in trying to correct those wrongs and I think a lot of companies who used to scrape data and make um, sort of big sort of predictions based on it, I, I think now are, are being left behind because that's not reliable. And people are now suddenly going, oh, yeah, maybe it isn't. So that's where GWI is trying to sort of, we've, since the very inception of it, been very firm in terms of this is our methodology. This is how we go about it. 
and this is how we get to the numbers we do and um yeah just try and be um a bearer of truth for the client i think is to give people a bit of an idea of the methodology um can you just give some of the statistics of how how many people are trapped and um when they're when they're polled that type of thing yeah certainly so as i said uh, we um track across 45 markets globally that's across all continents so for every market whether it's the us whether it's nigeria we have an annual sample that we want to reach so for uh, 2019 in the us we'll want to reach 100,000 respondents so obviously um those 100,000 uh, we then globally track um or put out our survey every quarter so across uh, so we're obviously now in q2 and um we will be run our survey is currently in field our survey will close in all markets once we've reached our desired uh, and uh, sample size and that will close we will then take that data um, and this is via online surveys um, and of course for every market we uh, set uh, quotas on age gender and education to make sure that we have a representative so you're not got just loads of 16 year olds and we've got loads of 70 year olds it doesn't you know we want to be representative and we take that data we clean it because you do get people who just straight line and people who just click 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 um so we take those people out we clean the data we make sure that um, all the sort of quality checks have been passed and then that data is um, uploaded into the gwi platform which all clients have access to and depending on their levels of access they can have access to the global data set and then um, all the data points that we collect which is up to around thirty-five thousand, if not more now on any individual respondent they can start then digging into so what you'll find is clients um, love to track so how's um, their the perception or the use of facebook and the various different parts of facebook versus an instagram versus a snapchat changing over time because that's important for where they spend the media coming back to that part but then it's how are the attitudes changing um of the digital consumer so what you'll see is um gen z or gen whatever you want to call them you know they're becoming very eco-conscious which is obviously a big movement at the moment the vegan movement as well all these types of things they can start seeing these trends change but then when you get new social media platforms like tiktok and all these kind of things it's how do we best um target our target personas on those platforms so that's how we collect it take it put it up on the platform and and give it access um but again you know in terms of that methodology that's all available to clients um and and yeah we've got nothing to hide because we want to make sure that um, consumer insight and data um, is used properly and we know how effective it can be for clients if they trust it and use it Fantastic. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into your role at GWI and maybe your, your background prior? Certainly. So I um, actually lived in Australia for near on three years post-university, did the classic travelling or flew out to Sydney to travel and then ended up sort of travelling but whilst living in Australia. So I spent a lot of time in Adelaide. Um, I then came back after around three years um, ended up in London um, and was kind of searching around for roles and I was very fortunate that the football or soccer club here that I started playing for, the, the chairman of that soccer club uh, actually worked in sport, Jonathan Hill and uh, he provided me with an opportunity that I couldn't refuse to uh, do an internship 
paid internship at the an agency called Kentaro. Um, that was heavily focused around media rights and marketing in the sports world. Um, and kind of from there, I've sort of taken that and run really. Um, at Kentaro, we focused very heavily on boxing and football. We would work with organisations like the French Football Federation, Ukraine Football Federation, um, on their media rights, selling them globally, um, and then um, also doing the production for that. Um, and then also marketing um, as well in and around that, whether that be boards around the pitch or whether that be uh, sort of uh, hospitality and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that was a great learning. Um, I kind of just got through it, thrown in the deep end and I'm forever grateful to Jonathan James for that because I learned so much. That's, I mean, really the only way you do learn, I feel, um, if you're given something. Getting in your hands dirty. Uh, yeah, certainly. And it's um, it was a great learning curve and I learned so much in terms of how to operate across, we talked about it, different cultures, um, how to speak to different people, um, different personalities and all that sort of stuff. I then moved in various roles across the sports world, uh, generally around media rights and production. Um, and then sort of six or seven years later, I uh, came across the opportunity at GWI. They were looking for someone to come in and take the sports business um, from its sort of embryonic stages that it was at. Um, and sort of take it and run really and try and build out the same sort of understanding or improve the understanding of global market research for the sports world um, and that's what I've done really and what we've had I saw we always talk about sliding scale in sports you've got people that have um, good resource understand the use of data and insight and understand how it can be valuable to them as a business and those people that we've spoken to and then now clients and which is fantastic you've kind of got the people in the middle who don't necessarily currently have a budget or an investment towards insight but they understand where it could be useful so that's like a conversation that takes one or two years to get going and then you've got a big pool of people that don't necessarily understand the use of insight and that's kind of the old school sports it's i'll do it on a wing and a prayer and a report that's six years old or something that tells me i've got 320 million fans but what i'm trying to educate our clients on and our future clients is big numbers are great for talking to brands and, and maybe sort of peacocking a bit but what brands are becoming more savvy on is well yes that's great but i want to speak to 24 to 26 year olds who uh, have a positive outlook on uh, the we uh, on uh, family and they want to understand them more intrinsically how do you reach them and if you can't answer that you, when you're trying to go for a multi-million dollar sponsorship not being able to answer those questions is tough and it can set you back and that's why organizations that we work with have signed up because they have that ability to get so granular in terms of their understanding of their fan, whoever that may be, and whatever market that may be. Um, because I think now you'll see sponsorship is very rarely done on a local market level. It's done minimum or regional, if not a global level. And how can I better spread uh, the word of my brand? Well, I want someone that understands me and understands my target personas. And that's what this insight and this global insight can provide them um and it's um yeah it's a fascinating role it's something that every day is different because whether you're working with a football team or whether you're working with an international organization uh, the their wants and needs are so different and what would you say is the best thing about your role um 
or most I mean, enjoyable? The most enjoyable is um, the ever-changing nature of it. Um, the different people that our data speaks to, because I think even if you're the netball, uh, you know, a netball uh, federation, or whether you're uh, an ice hockey federation, our data can help you. Um, but more and more so, we're working on quite a lot of bespoke projects and providing our sort of uh, input into big decisions for organisations, and that's really interesting as a personally um, and as an organization we get really interested about that which is you know we've done a lot of work around uh, bespoke rounds e-commerce uh, sort of retail strategy and APAC and all these different things that open my eyes and I learn from them as well as um, the sort of the end client so that changing ever-changing nature and having to constantly sort of test yourself in terms of what you're providing in terms of uh, you know consultancy is is yeah, it's what gets me up in the morning, I guess. And in terms of how um, it, this sports area is is new for GWI, is there anyone else that's doing something similar in market? Who's the competition? Yeah, um, we have a kind of, I think the sort of legacy um, would be uh, Kantars and Nielsen's and YouGov. Um, they tend to work on a global basis, um, slightly differently to GWI, um, I think, uh, you know, and they're ev- always evolving. Um, and the nice thing is they see us and they're trying to evolve in terms of the markets they cover and the platforms they provide and all this sort of stuff. So I think we're seen as a bit of a standard bearer, a newcomer, but a standard bearer in terms of what it should be now moving forward. I think research has always been stuck in the, here's a report on football fans in Asia and that impacts your sponsorship strategy for the next three to five years but it's very generic it's it's uh it's very broad brush strokes what we can provide them is the ability for them or us whichever way they want to work but we can provide that insight and break it down by a market by market level and really give them a really bespoke strategic outlook for how they should develop their sponsorship over the next three to five years rather than it being broad brush strokes um, and continual by the sound of it it's yeah, going to be changing every yeah year. and it can always change yeah. um you know ev- and they all do different things they a lot of them do tracking they do the research and then what we don't do is media evaluation uh, as a business and um, that's something that nielsen kantar and, and indeed YouGov um do and i think every organization has to provide some feedback on terms of uh, uh, you know what my media was worth to the brands that they work with and um, but we haven't we're not going into that space we're very focused on being the best provider of consumer research that, that, that can be and then obviously like we've spoken about custom and um, bespoke tracking of various uh, whether it's sponsorship tracking or whatever it may be and what would you say is the biggest challenge for the industry at present um well we've touched on one um trust i think is trust, a, yeah. a big thing and that comes from people not necessarily having the um, ability to uh, commit resource to insight, so therefore they've never really probably delved deep enough into it to understand what it can bring them. But what we're seeing, as I've spoken about, is those organisations committing resource. And what you'll see is you'll see a lot of analysts and um, heads of insight coming from media agencies who have, who are probably four or five years ahead of where sports people are in terms of their way of joined up thinking insight drives everything they do to a certain extent now insight is uh, one part of a bigger puzzle but 
it plays a significant part in giving them that foundational understanding um, for any, whether it's creative or whether it's for sort of strategic investments that um, organisations make. And how would you say that of what you guys, how does it differ from from competition? Um, in terms of dif- uh, sort of differentials, um, a regular the ability to have regular insights. So we're doing quarterly. We we aim to move to monthly by the end of two thousand nineteen. So what that will mean that we'll have data put into the platform on a monthly basis. Um, we are focused on the digital consumer, which generally everyone is now in especially in the most the more sort of uh, western markets but even more so if you think about africa um and their use of mobile the use of digital that will only become uh, more prevalent um so the ability for someone and an organization to have that uh, data at their fingertips historically they would have to go to a research provider and say we've got a project on this can you turn it around and yes we can we'll provide it to you in a week I need it tomorrow. They can do that with GWI. They can get to that insight quickly um, and efficiently. Um, and also, you know, we're never standing still. So our product suite now, we believe, is market leading. But we are looking at ways in which we can provide even more of the moment insights. So through our uh, one of our sort of what we call GWI labs, our first thing to come out of that is Polpass. That is uh, the ability for uh, organizations, brands to survey people and get overnight insight. So that's 24 hour turnaround. I've got a pitch next week. I need to understand what their perception of brand X is and that sort of space. Can we go and do it? Yes, we can. Um, so we started that in a couple of markets and we'll continue to build that out. Um, and yeah, I think research for too long has been stagnant in its methodology. Um, in its reporting and its availability to organisations, we've kind of ripped that ripped that apart and said, right, here's everything at your fingertips. And I think that's now, well, with the clients we've got, that rings true to their, you know, to their wants and needs. It, it, it's perfect for what they need now. And what's next for, for GWI over the next um, next kind of twelve months or so? Um, for GWI over the next twelve months. Um, well, it moves at such a pace. Um, so 12 months, a continued expansion of Polpass, I think will be very important into um, other markets um, f- to give the ability for our current clients in those markets to do that overnight insight to complement what we already do. Um, moving into stage two of the platform, um, obviously our platform we believe is market leading, but we want to stay one step ahead of the game. We want to provide more value to the clients. So there's already in development um, another version of the platform which will be use AI and uh, machine learning um, to better serve the client to get them access to insight quicker um, we will then develop in more markets um, we will widen our offering in terms of analytical uh, or tracking tools um, yeah I mean and continued investment in the core product i think that's one thing we're not going to just keep that stagnant we want to increase sample robustness and um, there will be new data sets coming potentially sport being one of them because we recognize our survey at the moment as an experience is great but we can't really expand it any further without it damaging that so it's how do we service new clients new sectors with different data sets that can complement what we already have whether it's b2b sports healthcare whatever it may be so there's continued um investment 
um, in all strands of the business. Um, so that's yeah, it's it's that's what makes it so good, such a good place to work at because there's always something to talk about. And you mentioned there about uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. What role do you see automate or technology playing in the um, in the research in terms of being able to get that information in, in terms of being able to look over large quantities of it and and gain those insights? What what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are clients wanting? So, uh, well, I guess the most recent example is we just released a new feature into the platform called Crosstab Builder. This gives the ability for all clients with access to their data to do a multi, uh, mass analysis a lot quicker. So they can understand audiences versus audiences, audiences versus uh, different questions. Um, this all gets them to the insight quicker. And that's done through technology. That's all powered by technology. And We talked about the next iteration of the platform. So like you do when you go on to Apple, uh, the App Store, or when you go on to Google or YouTube or wherever, it's learning about what you use regularly as content. What do I want to see? So it, it pushes you that content. That's what the next iteration of the platform will do. It will get you to the content that you want to see on a, a more regular basis. Um, and ultimately, it allows us also on the back end to do quicker um, data pushes into the platform, be more efficient in terms of our weighting, our robustness, um, and just means that any, um, just means that clients can get the data in a much more reliable and quicker fashion. And ultimately, that proves benefit, especially when we start moving to monthly. Um, data releases um, towards the end of the year that machine learning and automation plays a massive part in cutting down our um, the latency between data collection and data publishing so th that's a massive got a massive part to play and it plays a massive part in poll pass as well which is um, uses a chatbot but it's that uses mi uh, artificial intelligence machine learning so it plays a significant part in, in our back end across the business makes things easier and quicker and more uh, i suppose uh, more more predictive predictive i suppose yeah and it just frees our research and data team up with better processes through technology which can advance what they're doing it frees them up to be more creative and ultimately give them more time to work on projects future thinking projects for clients that will improve their advancement whereas before Potentially, they were bogged down in spreadsheets and, and data checking, all that sort of stuff. And we can automate that, which we have done. It just it it improves the um, ultimately it improves what the clients get because we have more resource that we can um, channel towards uh, projects that benefit them. Fantastic. Well, look, we're coming towards the end of the uh, show now. Um, before we leave, I just want to get your thoughts on measurement. Uh, we talked about it earlier and at the issues that surround measurement within the industry and i think maybe there's been some distrust over some of the um, statistics that have, have been in industry um, so how are you guys approaching measurement in terms of improving what already exists so sort of our sort of outlook on measurement or tracking or whatever you want to call it really is we have a global data source and global data set we have the ability to uh, track these respondents when they take the survey across the globe. So when we're doing tracking, we're never um, just speaking to people we don't understand. 
So if we track a digital campaign for a brand or a, an agency, we get what we uh, call crossover with our core study. So all those respondents that have taken our survey, we can have up to 35,000 data points on them already. So if they then see a digital campaign and we get good crossover and it goes global and it's got a lot of impressions, that tracking piece, that ability, it's not like, oh, we've got, yes, it's hit 16 to 24-year-olds um, who are educated. We can go into great granular depth. So for an organisation, that allows them, or a brand, that allows them to continually to evolve what their messaging is or what their campaigns are because they have that ability to dig that much deeper beyond the key, uh, you know, 16 to 24 male um, educated uh, might buy a car in the next six to 12 months. And that 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 last data point we come up across so much is uh, they think you're about to buy a car because you clicked on a car advert. That's the old going back to the old days, that scraping data. And it infers something about you because you've clicked on something or you know, on the internet, which I just clicked. Yeah, exactly. And that is just so far removed from reality. So what we're trying, you know, we know because we've asked them a question in terms of what they're they're planning to purchase in the next six to 12 months. So just with connecting, tracking to our data set and our respondents, it just gives um, such a a well-rounded approach to tracking um, rather than it standing uh, separate with very limited uh, data points on, on, on any one individual or, or target personas. It's that confidence, I suppose, to be able to know that what you're looking at is correct because you've already been speaking to these people before. It just so happens that you're asking the new question. Correct. Um, and and, uh, and I think that's the w- one of the key questions I always get asked. So how can I rely on your data? I mean, the easy answer. The easy answer is well, we work with you know all these brands and and these organisations, and they use us um, across their global organisations. So easy sale pit, sales pitch, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it, <laughs> and it com- that comes back to the transitional period, especially in my area of sport, where trusting data is very important for them. And hopefully, I, I, that's the aim of GWI is we can become that sort of number one source for that. Uh, ongoing no uh, you know trusted data source for the sports world moving forward and where else are you seeing data in sport being used in perhaps ways it hasn't before well i think now um if we talk about fan engagement fan engagement used to be you turn up to the pub 90 minutes before the game kicked off you got a ticket and a uh, you know a pie a pie <laughs> and and you walked in the stadium had a kick you know watched the game and then left now it's, you know, especially when you're trying to reach that younger audience, it starts the days before. In fact, it never really stops. So technology is being used to, if you think about in-stadium, and something we're going to talk about at Sport Accord, you know, with technology like 5G coming in, which will, I think, revolutionise what, you know, the jump from 3G to 4G was big, but 4G to 5G is going to be massive. Well, we still can't even sort out Wi-Fi in stadiums at the moment. So, And, and therefore, I think 5G has such a big play to, role to play. But if you think about technology, you know, talking about uh, player performance tracking, that can all be fed into an app so people can, at the game, they can understand who's ran the most, who's, who's done that the most. You think about blockchain, um, you know, people can use tokens to buy things all on their phone rather than having to pay via money. You look at the things that Tottenham are doing in their new stadium. 
there's so much that technology can bring, but it's having a clear strategic view of what you want that to be. But also future proofing, you know, 5G will open up so many doors that you're getting live replays, exclusive content into the Tottenham app for those people at the game. It makes it such a more immersive um, experience and people go away remembering that and they'll go, well, actually, I want to come back and and that may lead to a season ticket and a lifelong Tottenham fan. So you can see why Tottenham have done it and why they're now, you know, I'm an Arsenal fan. I was about to say, this must pain you. Um, and I go to the Emirates sometimes, and although I'm watching my team, it's, you know... It's a bit quiet, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's a bit of a funeral home, unfortunately, sometimes, and that comes down to the fans, but it also comes down to what can Arsenal now do to improve that, and I think they have to look at examples and look at technology in the next four to five years in terms of how they can really push the boat out to improve that. And that goes for all sports organisations. I was about to say, I think every sport that you watch now, it need the live experience needs to be better than watching it on TV. And yes, you'll get the atmosphere, but some of the um, things that you might miss whilst in the stadium are just not accounted for currently when but you're watching it live. And I think that needs to be rectified pretty soon. And, and technology has made my... Me, my sports fandom very different to how it was five years ago. It's very easy for me just to stick at home and watch it, even rather than going to the pub or something. I I would rather sit there and go to. So I need to be enticed. I need to be understand what type of experience I'm going to get. I went to an NFL game in uh, London recently. There were certain on on the ground activations and stuff they did, and I know there's so much more they can do. But you know, I'd seen a vast improvement on what certain people do and and think about it there's so people only have a certain amount of time and uh, willingness to commit and disposable where time disposable income income all of those things are limited and um everyone's there are an increasing number of people vying for that almost diminishing pot with the amount of uh cost of living going up yeah and people want an escape from that everyday life that rings true i guess and sport is a massive escape for people that's their passion that's something and i think coming back technology just enables clubs and organizations to provide that experience which taps into that passion that experience and keeps those fans engaged with them and i think you know i come back to one of my first things which is content is king i think content plays a massive part in that but then technology can play an even bigger part whereby clubs can say well we're going to invest in this technology but if you make the right strategic you know investments in technology on a phased approach test retest you know adapt then that can make you stand out from that crowd and really um you know hopefully engage that fan of the future and continue that lifelong fandom which is ultimately what everyone's looking for Excellent. Well, on that note, David, thank you very much for being here today. No, thank you. And Cheers. Enjoy your time, the rest of your time in Australia. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers.